Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. It's a scripture study podcast where we move through and talk about things we think you don't want to miss. From, in the New uh, Testament. Yeah, in the New Testament this year and other years, other In case books. it was just going to be everything they didn't want to miss in the whole world today. Well, why not? <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> okay. Hopefully you're on a long drive somewhere on summer vacation or whatever and you can listen to the whole scriptures. Nope. Just today, Acts 6 through 9 is all we're doing uh, today. This is, remember, part two. We're into, we did the Gospels, and now you're watching. Last time we did the, kind of the birthday of the church, essentially, right? It was like, okay, it begins. Like, the ministry of Jesus continues now through, um, from Him in heaven now. Almost like the style of His ministry that we're more used to and, and seeing, but no less powerful, no less miraculous, no less marvelous. And it's kind of cool to watch yeah, this and, happen, you know, like it feels like our church. Yeah. And we know? watch this happen through the gospels with these personal encounters with Jesus. And they're ones that we remember. We love to talk about the woman who touched his robe or Peter walking on the water. And these seem to be like, almost like bedtime stories for us. They're things that we're familiar with. And we sometimes forget that the second half of the New Testament is filled with just as good of stories yeah. as the first, uh, as the Gospels were. Um, but we just don't talk about them as often. And so we thought it would be fun to call out five people and their encounter with Christ um, and what that looked like from heaven and, and how that worked in their life and, and who they were and what they did for the church. So we, we called this Live the Way of Jesus. And we're going to watch five people who are doing that, who are just living the way of Jesus. And something we talked about in the beginning that was, um, I think, when we're looking at the five stories and like, okay, which five do you want to do and, and stuff like that is how different each of them are, how, how differently mm-hmm. they live the way of Jesus and particularly what it is that they were called to, you know, to yes. live that way. We didn't do a story last time and it was that story of, when you know Judas is is dead, and so they have to fill his spot in the quorum of the twelve, right at the end of Acts one, and maybe you did this story last week, but there was this other gentleman who's mentioned. Remember, they fill it with this guy whose name is Matthias, but they mentioned yeah, he becomes the twelfth, the twelfth person, right? That Judas gets spot pulled in there. But I noticed this time when I read in Acts one that they kind of narrow it down to two people: this guy Joseph. And, uh, and then Matthias, and then the lot falls on Matthias, and the chapter ends. And, and I kind of thought when I read this time, well, what about that guy Joseph? <laughs> you know, like, and, and there, you know, the, the guy who didn't get picked. And how easy it is in moments like that to feel like you've been overlooked by God, or to feel like you were unworthy for a call, or to feel like he has no use for you. Um, I think it's interesting, by the way, that you don't hear any stories of Matthias or Joseph for the rest of the book. And maybe that's on purpose, mm. as if to say, like, hold on, they are both going to be used in their own uh, different Sphere. ways, right? In their own spheres. Yeah. And and we have a temptation when you live in a, in a kingdom community to, oh, if there's a seemingly big calling, I have to, fu- I have to fill that calling without pride. And if there's seemingly small callings, I have to fulfill those without shame, you know? And it's, and it's a great spot in scripture. I think today's stories yeah. to learn that it's like, oh, listen, everybody, everyone has a place and a work in the kingdom. And it's just as miraculous and just as marvelous and, and just as needed. And I think it's really important to remember, and we're going to see today that um, there was Joseph and Matthias who um, one of them in that season was called to that position. And, and we see that with callings where I loved being in a state conference one time and the man who was there um, to put that state presidency into place said, there may have been many of you in this audience today who felt the stirrings 
um, that you could have fulfilled this calling. And I love that he did not discount that, that he was like, that's, that's actually real. That actually happens. And then he said, what it signifies is that you were worthy to represent in this calling. And I loved that thought that, that, that there may be more than one person who is worthy of that call at that time. Sure. Um, but for that season, the Lord may pick one or the other and, and according to maybe what's going to happen. And I think too, we're going to see within this story, Stephen, um, who is also a powerful witness of Christ and he doesn't get the end of the story he hopes for, right. but Dorcas does at yeah. the end. And to realize that we don't actually understand very well the will of God and how a story turns out doesn't necessarily suggest that one is more favored than another in God's eyes, that, that his will is, is bigger than what we can comprehend yeah. or assign reasons to. Yeah, I kind of repeat this phrase to myself a lot where I'm like, oh, that's actually God's business, not yeah. mine. Yeah. You know, and, and I have mine and he has his. And I think it's good to, you know, settle into that. Uh, so you watch how each of these people live the way of Jesus and how they live them so differently. Stephen, uh, as I like the the need for him in the beginning is now all of a sudden thousands and thousands and thousands of people are becoming a part of the of this kingdom community and i love when you just said the need for him <laughs> the, Wait, need the need for him in the beginning was well like why what was the need for him in the end <laughs> bless his heart um because now they have a lot of logistical things to work through and we don't know what to do. And the apostles are called particularly to preach and witness of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's like, oh, how, how are we supposed to now manage the affairs of um, people being neglected and everything? And so they have this need to call these seven men. It says in verse three, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So I would add trusted. You know, and it's just like, it's interesting that just they're of honest report. They're full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and they're trusted yeah. people is, is who they are. And isn't that a great question to just ask yourself? Do I fit that, um, those characteristics? Are they part of me? Yeah. And I feel like that's a list of like, oh, can I be used? Um, yeah. Are you full of honest report, I mean, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and, and wisdom and trusted, right? I'm just, I have integrity. I live by the spirit and, uh, and um, you um, can count on me. Yeah. You know, it's sort of what it is. And it's interesting because sometimes we'll say like, oh, am I not qualified for this position or that position? It's actually scripturally, the Lord calls the unqualified. Yes, <laughs> so, that's so, so like, true. You wouldn't be looking for any sort of skill set or anything. What you're looking for is, oh, um, remember Elder Maxwell's line where you used to talk about like it has nothing to do with ability, it has to do with uh, availability, right? I'm available. So whatever you need me to do. And he has called for that. In verse five, he's talked about as a man full of faith. And verse eight, full of faith and power. And he did great wonders and miracles among the people. And it's interesting because his story doesn't end awesome. <laughs> it ends in a tragedy and and. I think it's important to say like that doesn't mean he had no faith. It doesn't mean he wasn't used. It mm. just, it just happened, you know, for him. And he's accused. Um, it's interesting in verse 10, it says the people cannot resist his wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Um, they can't find, they're just like, they, they have to engage. Like he speaks with such conviction about these things that they have to engage. And, and they bring together this like false counsel against him and they bring in these witnesses and they say, like he's been saying this kind of stuff and that kind of stuff and they're making they're making it up. But the very last verse of uh, six says, but when they looked on him, they saw his face as like the face of an angel. And I think that's so awesome. Yes. It's just like, I, okay, they are trying to accuse him falsely of something, but what they see is like a face of an angel. It's just like his character is shining through in there. And then he speaks to him and he actually, chapter seven, if you want a good review of the whole mm. Old Testament, read chapter seven. So and true. Stephen just says like, let mm. me, y'all, let me just tell you the, the story. Let's remember the story and how, because they're accusing him, 
you know, of, of saying things that Jesus is trying to destroy the temple. Jesus is trying to destroy the law. And he goes through and he shows them how Jesus is the temple and Jesus is the law. You know that he's, And I love too that he's like, hold on, my God is your God. Yeah. Like we actually believe in the same God. Right. And so did Jesus. Right. Where he just starts him at the get-go and he's like, you guys, do you remember? We're all on the same team. Right. In fact, our name for Jesus for the week is the God of our, the God of thy fathers. And it comes from here in Acts 7 as he goes through. And he just wants to show Jesus in line with like, like this whole story. He's like, this whole thing is one big story. Hmm. Um, Jesus isn't this like random thing that happened. It's like, listen, let's start with Abraham and let me show you how he fits into this story, what he's been doing since the beginning. What I'm trying to tell you, he's saying is what Jesus is doing right now is the same as what he's been doing. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was the God of Moses. He brought us through the Red Sea. He was the God of Joseph. He was the God of David. He was the God of Solomon. He was that like, this is the same God. It's the same God. And we're, we're living this same story here. And at the very, very end, of, he goes through that. And then he just says, um, your problem is, verse 51, you're resisting the Holy Ghost. And you're pushing back against something. You're holding on to, to whatever it is, your pride, your positions, or whatever it is. And you're resisting what it is that he's trying to do. And it says in 54 that they were cut to the heart. And then their response is interesting because last time we read of people who heard Peter tell the story, right? This is the God of Joel. It's the God of, you know, he's mm -hmm. going through and they were cut to the heart and their response is, okay, what should we do? And then these people are cut to the heart and they resist it. And it says that they gnash their teeth. And, um, and then uh, he's going to be stoned to death for his testimony. And right before he is, he says two lines, I think are, Awesome. In 56, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. And, um, and they stoned him and he called upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Um, or that could be said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it's interesting to see this man who's so filled with the words and spirit of of Jesus and and to see sometimes that like as we live out the way of Jesus things m might not go the way that we hoped they would that we will meet resistance and um but yet to still have that um forgiving spirit as part of that that spirit of Jesus that's there so as we look at Stephen and his story what it looks like to live the way of Jesus I think those are some of the things that we you know that we learn that God uses the available that he uses the trustworthy and those who are like, you can, you can use me in any way. Um, and that in the midst of the, the good things that you do, you're also going to be met with resistance. Mm, that's so good. Um, this next story is the story of Philip. I have written in my scriptures right at the top of chapter eight that Philip was a great missionary and you want to watch him in Samaria. You want to watch him with Simon and you want to watch him with the eunuch. And notice what makes him great hmm. as a missionary. Notice what stands out. And we're just going to pull one story. Um, and it, it is one of my favorites. I'm going to start in Acts 8. And I'm going to start in verse 26. And it says this, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south. Which I just love. Because how often is that what the Spirit does? It just gives you the next right step. It's mm -hmm. not like, okay, this is what your day is going to look like today. You're going to go here. You're going to meet this person. This is how the conversation will go. This is what will happen at the end. And then this is where you'll go next. We wish that's how the spirit worked, but I love when it just works like this, arise and go toward the South. Just a direction. You know, that's funny. There's like four of them. Yeah. And so it's like, just it's go like, South. All right. Start, start working <laughs> South. And in your mind, you're like, okay, but like I, my mind would want to be like, okay, but what am I looking for? And how far should I go? Right. And, you know, and when am I coming back? And what's yeah. the, let's do, plan Do I need to pack? Yeah. Do I need lunch? <laughs> like what's going to happen? And you love that it just says this in verse 27, and he arose and went. Oh, but the awesome part in 26 though is like, which is desert. You yes. know, so it was like. There's, 
It's the nothing. kid who got the mission call he didn't want. Yes. You know, he's like, I just got called to Gaza. Nothing there. Right. Yes. I'm just walking in the desert and he just goes. And what happens is a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Okay, so this is not just some random guy moseying through the desert. You have this man of great authority. So status, wealth, probably, all of those things. He was in charge of her entire treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He, he just was going to like experience that. And he was returning. And meanwhile, he's sitting in a chariot too. So keep all this in mind. You have Philip, who's just supposed to go south. And then you have this entourage, it feels like, in my mind, also there. And the he's reading Isaiah, the prophet. And the Spirit says to Philip, go near and join yourself to that chariot. And if you're here and you can look like at this picture that David has put up, there's like guys with javelins that are surrounding <laughs> the chariot, right? There's a whole like situation happening right here. Then I don't know about you, but my personality would be like, I actually don't know how I'm going to re be received right. in that situation. Right. Like he doesn't know me. I can't just go up there and be like, it, you almost are like, he's like the hitchhiker on the side of the road approaching, <laughs> you know, this grand entourage that is happening when a spirit is like, go near and join yourself to that party. And um, again, I think my inclination is, okay, who should I say I am? Or like, what's my get in, you yeah, know, the, yeah. like, what should I do? But you love this. And Philip ran <laughs> right he's just he runs thither him. to him and he hears him he reading isaiah so he was reading out loud and he hears him and he's like okay this is my in this is mm -hmm. my connection point this is what we have in common and he says to him do you understand what you're reading and he says how can i accept some man should guide me this is one of my favorite verses in all of Acts is that one. When you think about, and, and like for me right now, I'm so invested in the youth program and, and what is the role of a leader and what is the role of a youth and, and how does that work out? And I come to this and I'm like, okay, do you want to see what good mentoring looks like? Mm. Start right here in this verse, right? How can I, a youth might say, be a leader unless someone should guide me? And I love watching how does Philip guide. Yeah. And it's also interesting to think that there maybe are some leaders who would look at like a, a teenager and see them like the entourage and be like, I actually am afraid to enter into that situation. Like, I don't know how I'm going to be received, you know? That's so true. And maybe to make an assumption too, it's just like that kind of person probably doesn't care about scripture or about things of faith. You know, yes. that would be an easy assumption to see this treasury caravan and be like, I, you know what? I bet that they're not really interested, the church type or yeah. something, but to walk up and like, and yes. there he is like, yeah, and you think about this, if you're working with the youth as a leader to a youth, um, I think about that darling missionary who gave that homecoming last week as a um, companionship, you know, and just being like that younger companion saying, I don't know what to do and how will I unless someone will guide me right. in this. Right. Um, you know, it's we all step into unknowns in this church. Yeah. We're a lay ministry. We're called into things we actually don't know how to do. And how should we know unless someone should guide us? And I love, um, we talk a lot about um, teach a man how to fish. Don't just fish for him. But And sometimes we're like, well, I don't really know what that looks like because I don't fish. Yeah. You know, that's not a great parallel for me. But this right here, I love what this teaches. So it, the first thing is go near and join yourself. The second thing is he looks at what is happening in that chariot and he's like, okay, what is similar here? What is my connection point? I hear him reading Isaiah. I'm going to say, do you understand what you're reading? And then the man desires Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Mm. And don't you love that thought of, is there room on the bench for me? Yeah. Like, can I... Do you care if I just come sit with you 
for a minute. My agenda right now is to actually just enter your world and sit in it for a minute. That's my agenda. Um, And I love that he meets him where he is, both literally, like he climbs up in the carriage and sits with him. But there's this other awesome line where it says, he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus, Mm. which I love. And it's interesting because I don't know if you know very much about what a eunuch is, um, but it's someone who will never have a family. It's someone who has devoted their entire life to the service of the crown. Um, it, it's someone whose like entire existence will be service. That's what it is. And they're, and they were often like despised or outcast or kind of on the outside of community yeah, um, yeah. Is, is maybe how you would describe it. And I love that the place where he is reading is from Isaiah. And it talks about this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. He didn't even get to open his mouth in his humiliation. His judgment was taken away. And who will ever declare his generation for his whole life was taken from him. And I I sometimes wonder if he's reading this and he's like, he says to him, who is the prophet talking about? right now? Was it him or was it someone else that I love that as he's reading, he's like, actually see myself in this set of verses. And now this is, this is what I want to know more about. What is this talking about? Because for some reason, this is connecting with me. And I love that Philip is like, let's just start right there at that question. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to lead with what my agenda is. That's not actually leading well, Philip teaches us. What's his agenda? That's what you should teach. What is his question? What is his conversation? Let him guide what you're going to teach. Yeah, and also like what his like ache is. So it said that he had been to Jerusalem to worship. And it's interesting to maybe think in your mind, I wonder what that looked like for him. Because as a eunuch, he wasn't able to go into the temple. And so like, he really would have been an outsider looking in. Yeah. Did he like climb, you know, the fence yes. and kind of look in and felt maybe like that? Like, I'm not a part of this. Yeah, and, and, then, and how many of our youth are like that? How many times is there a mission companion who's like, I just, I don't feel like, I can't find my place here. So can you help me find my place? Or or someone who's investigating the church, or someone who has stepped away for a bit. Like this is such a great lesson on leadership and guiding and mentoring and discipling. Yeah, and to show how Jesus is the hope and the answer for it. It's interesting that he takes him there and then he says, and preached unto him Jesus. Like yes. he gives him the answer and and the hope for the situation because that scripture that he's reading is from isaiah where he says and jesus died so who's going to tell his story because he had no kids and usually your kids carried on the family name and then later in isaiah it says all of us can carry on that name we're all part of his family yeah and maybe for the first time in the eunuch's life he sees like i can have a family like i can be a part of of something his ache was i'm an outsider and Philip comes in and says, well, Jesus maybe felt like one too. And he's here to tell you that you have a place in yeah. the family. And I love in 36 when it says, and they went on their way. Mm. Don't you love that? Like also that's what guiding someone looks like is going on their way together. And I love when he gets to the part where he's like, the eunuch is like, wait, here's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? Yeah. Don't you just I want to be, me? He's I like, want to be like, so excited part of this community. Yes. I want to be this. And then I love this when they were come up out of the water in verse 39, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. And I love that line. The spirit of the Lord caught away Philip because in your mind, don't you want to be like, just start the story here. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip saying, arise and now go toward the West. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Like we have no idea where he went, but it was like, then the spirit was like, okay, West now. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got to go this way. Um, go on your way rejoicing. And but- you see like awesome, like, like you actually get to see like success in the story. Unlike you saw in, in Stephen's yes. 
Although I don't think we know what success was in there yep. because Stephen was just as available, yes. right? And so it's like God's going to use that in some other way, yeah. right? And and He's doing it here. You see that availability of Philip and his running spirit too. I yes, love that part. I of love him. that part so like, much too. When he just says, "Okay," <laughs> he's like, "Go, go, hook up with that whole and he just situation right there," and he's like, "I'm in." <laughs> it's so awesome that like. Um, somebody once described someone's personality like this to me, like they're a person who just goes in, you know, they just walk into situations. Yeah. And I like, I think that is, is so cool. Yeah. Um, you learn, we've met this guy in chapter seven. We didn't look at his verses, but when they stoned Stephen, it says they laid all of their coats at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. And Acts chapter nine is where we get the continuation of that story. And you learn about this guy, Saul, and his intro is not super awesome, that he breathes out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Both of those are like rough words, by the way. Um, and he has these letters, um, almost warrants for arrest, to go arrest any of the Christian believers. And he is on his way uh, to Damascus, to the synagogues there, to make these arrests. And that phrase, the road to Damascus, is going to be a phrase that if you're going to hang around the Bible the rest of your life, which I'd highly encourage your church, you're going <laughs> hang, to hear people. Hang around the Bible. <laughs> you know, you're just going to hear that phrase. It's going to be used, the road to Damascus. And from now on, let's let that phrase, road to Damascus, be code for second chances. Paul, Saul, same guy, sorry, we're going to learn about that, is on his way to persecute. He's on, he's, he's in, he's headed in the wrong direction is what we would say. And Jesus meets him there in that place. And that is pretty phenomenal about the character of Jesus that he's not on his way to the temple. He's not on his way to service. And does Jesus meet us in those roads? Yes. But he meets Saul in this, in the road headed the wrong direction. And it's such a lesson about grace. Yeah. Because Paul, what should we call him? Saul or Paul? Well, let's just clear this up right now. Okay. The name that he was given at birth is Saul. That's his Hebrew name named after King Saul. Okay. Yay. He also was a Roman citizen. And so that name Paul is his Roman citizen name. And he will use both names depending on the crowd he's in. We'll learn later that Paul, Saul uh, is like this. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm going to adapt to the situation yeah, that I'm in. Which is my favorite thing about in. him. Yeah, we'll teach that. Yeah, we'll teach it. And he's super good at but it. But let's call him Paul. We're okay. just going to call him Paul. From now on, we'll lesson. just call him Paul because that's how we're going to call him the rest of the Bible. And I think it's so interesting because um, when we think about um, that gift of grace, Paul had done nothing to deserve that gift right. in this moment. He was breathing out slaughter and threatening the saints. He had that letter in hand. He is on his way. And that's when Jesus shows up into his story. And I love that message of grace. Yeah. Right. The gift of grace in right. that moment. And it's a message of those of second chances. It's a message that no matter how long you've been moving down this road in the wrong direction, it's never too late to turn around. Right. Um, and he's journeying and he comes near Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven and he falls to the earth and he heard a voice. Now we have to call him Saul again because the scriptures do. <laughs> and Jesus does. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he answers back and he's like, I, I'm so sorry if I am. Can, can you help me understand what and why? Because who loves and, when he's like, who are you? Yeah, That's yeah. his first question. Right. It's like, and it's like, I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. Right. But all, he obviously has his attention, right? Because he's like... <laughs> from heaven, you know, coming down. And it's interesting for him to say, um, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And um, I love just thinking right here for a second, the idea of Saul persecuting without knowing the full story, you know, that it's just yeah. like, and I think that's helpful to give people maybe the benefit of the doubt sometime where it's just like, maybe he thought he was doing what he was, he was meant to be doing. He was passionate about you know, yeah, doing the right thing. The cause thing, of good. The cause, and that he just he had the wrong definition good. of it, right? Yeah. Or needed a, a more mature definition mm -hmm. of it. And he says, well, I'm Jesus <laughs> whom you are persecuting. Um, and he says, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And almost as if to say like, this way that you're living, if you, if you were to just pause and think for a second, it, 
can you can you not sense that when it's quiet at night that you are pushing in the wrong direction? Like take a minute to just um, to kick against the pricks is like when you prod cattle and they like resist against it, you know. And it's just like have have you not felt this prodding yet that you're kind of moving in the wrong direction? And then he asks a question in verse six that's the right question to ask. Um, this is the question that's going to make all the difference for him in his life. He asks the, as President Benson said, he asks the right question. The mo- he, President Benson says the most important question you can ask in your life. Yeah. That, is, that's like a pretty big question. Right. And six, it says, what do you want me to do? There's so much humility in that. There's so much submission in that. He was really important on his high horse. Right, and he easily could have just, you know, commit. No, 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 no. I'm right, cuz, or this is the way you're supposed to do it, cuz. Instead, he just gives in fully, and he says, "Okay, uh, tell me what to do." Then, you know, I don't care uh, what I lose, what I have to change. You tell me what to do, um, and gives in to all those maybe proddings that he's had over the last who knows how long. And then um, the Lord says, like he does to Philip, go into the city. And when you get there, I will uh, tell you what to do. <laughs> Which is going to be like three days of blindness. Yeah. How so often he does he blind. question yeah. that? You know, in the those what? three days. How often does he question when he's like, why didn't he tell me what to do? Right. Yeah. For three days. And I'm in darkness. Like I'm actually blind now. So how do I know he was even the Lord? Yeah, you right, know? right, Don't right. you wonder about that internal struggle of that, like those three days, that three-day wait? And it makes me think about this for just a second, and maybe you're going to get into this a little bit um, when we get into Ananias' story, but just what it might feel like for someone to make a change like he makes. Because maybe it does feel like that. You well, know, you've yeah, got the unique. Yeah, it's new friends. Yeah, it's new everything. And it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I'm stumbling through something. Like I have no idea what to do and where to go. I'm still passionate about my, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. But the change that has to make here might be as uncomfortable as clamoring blindly through a city for three, three days. days. And I think it's really helpful for us to, you know, to see that and to know what that's like and to, you know, hear yeah. people's stories with that. But this is a great, great story. And I will just say this right here, but um, he is going to be different um, and, and he's going to do great good. And most of the second half of the New Testament is going to be written by Paul and the impact that he has on on the world, on the, you know, and it, Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting that it all the hinge point, the switch point in the tracks was one question. What do you want me to do? Yeah. And imagine the impact that you and I could have for good in this world if we would simply ask that same question. question. And and even and it's a question that anybody can ask. That's what the story says. That you actually don't have an excuse. You don't say, but look at the wrong I've done. Look at the 45 years I've lived in rebellion already. Look yeah, at what the, about look at, Stephen's yeah. life that I allowed that to happen? I allowed it. Right. God clears the table of all those excuses and says, you can ask that question at any point in your journey that you want, even if you are almost to Damascus. Yeah. If you are almost to the end of your, you know, bad intentions or whatever they are at any point, you can ask the question. You can stop and and ask the question. The lucky thing is he almost gets judgment day moved up early. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Face to face with Jesus. And, and he's saying any anybody can have this moment if yeah. they want. Yeah. And just to simply say, okay, Lord, what would you have me to do? Yeah. Help, now. Help, yeah. And so it's interesting because we know those three days were not a comfortable three days. Because it tells us he was three days without light, and neither did he eat nor drink. That's what his three days look like. And at the same time, we're all of a sudden now going to be introduced to the story of Ananias, who is my favorite New Testament 
character of outside of the 12, but I love Ananias so much. Um, here's what happens. There was a certain disciple at Damascus. <laughs> just, what, what is going to happen right now? I think you know, I want to put money. On, I just want to put money on that. Like I whether that <laughs> I know. Are you thinking right now more than that's what you're thinking? Okay, because you're right. Because what about <laughs> Philemon? I was just like, come on. When I, we were just in Israel, Jack came to Israel with us. And one night in the hotel, he goes, Emily has the favorite of everything. <laughs> He's never heard the podcast, so he just doesn't know that everything is your favorite. But one night he was just like, is everything her favorite? <laughs> I was like, yep. So anyways, anyone who wants to put money on whether <laughs> this guy really ends up saying I do love favorite. Anne and I is so much. So here's what happens. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord appeared in a vision and said, Ananias. And he said, behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him. Which is that we really should have called this whole lesson like I'm available or something. Yes. Because like, you keep seeing this with all these yeah. people, right? Yeah. The reason like, why they have that encounter with the Lord is because. I'm here. Yep. What do you need? I'm here. And the Lord said to him, arise. And go into the street, which is called straight. Why do I get such a kick out of that one I line? I think it's so Was there funny. only one straight street <laughs> in all of Damascus? There was just the one? It's just straight street. We don't know. Go to straight street and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And then I love this. Here's what you love is that Ananias has a little bit of my personality because he's like, um, remember Philip was like, all right, I'm on it. Ananias is like, uh, do you know who this guy is? <laughs> like, have you heard anything about what's been happening here in Jerusalem? I love that he's like, um, I have heard by a lot of people about this man, how much evil he's doing. Like, do you know who this guy is? I just love that little bit of pause because I for sure have that in my soul where I'm like, are you sure? And it doesn't disqualify him, right? And the Lord just says to him, um, and he tells him this, he actually has authority to bind all that call on his name, which is me. So yeah. like if I go there, he actually has authority from the government to bind me. And do you know what happened to Stephen? Because yeah. I just, I want to make sure we're like thinking this all the way through to the end. But the Lord says unto him in verse 15, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. And I always think right here, maybe we don't understand the word chosen. Do you mm. ever think that right here? Because be, he doesn't look chosen. Yeah. If you were going to like look at the outward appearance. And I love that someone who is on their road to Damascus can be chosen. He, he actually hasn't done anything good yet. Not one yeah, thing, right? except for he's praying. That's it. But he's chosen. Right. That's what we learn about him. And um, he says to him, um, he's going to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And, and he's going to do um, these great things that he will suffer for my name's sake. And so it tells us in 17, Ananias went his way. And then he goes into the house. And I just want to think for a minute of that moment. And we're going to take you to the worksheet in the book. Because I think it's important to think about this threshold moment for a second. Sometimes we move so fast through scripture, we miss the pain points. And we live in pain points. Right. I, I, like, before you get there, even like we talked about those three days yeah. of blindness of and not eating or drinking yeah. that he has. And I actually thought for a second, I've never thought about this guy before in verse 11, the house of Judas. Like, right. who's that guy? Right. And what was that like to take in this blind, hungry man and say, Well, and whose side is Judas here? on? Right. We don't even know whose right. side he's on. So interesting. That, and, like, and you get to this moment at the door. That's what I want you to picture right now. If you print out this worksheet, um, you'll see these two people standing on opposite sides of the door. And I want you to think, first of all, what Paul sees 
when he's standing on that door because he knows on the other side of the door is Stephen's friend, right? He knows everything that he's done now that actually isn't right. He knows he's wrong. He's got to be harboring guilt and probably shame. Plus he's blind. He's defenseless. There's actually nothing he can do to protect himself. Um, that's what's standing on this one side. And should I let this person in and what, what's he going to do? Yeah. And what are they going to think about me? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, and what's he going to do? I've been so bad, right? Because he hates me. Yeah. Uh, but I love this thought about though, what does God see? And, and we know in him, God sees someone who is chosen, someone who will bear testimony to Kings and to all different nations and people and and the the amazing things that will come that's what god sees uh, in um paul and then i want to think about the other side of the door okay if you're ananias what does ananias see and he sees okay i know there's a guy on the other side of the door that has a letter in his hand that he can take me bound to jerusalem like if i knock on this door this story could go, this is the end of my life. I could be stoned like Stephen was. And, and I know how much he hates who we are, what we represent. The only thing I know about him is how much he is not going to like me when, and, I, when he opens that door. Yeah, and maybe a thought of, an initial thought of this, this guy doesn't deserve a second chance. This yeah. guy doesn't, this guy's done so much hurt. Yeah. To our people. That, uh, like, Yeah. And I want to just think about that threshold moment because if you're Ananias, do you knock? And if you are Paul, do you open? And think how much trust is on both sides of the door. And, and I love what God knows about Ananias is that he will. That mm. he will. Knock. Because Ananias has to make the first move in this story. And I love that God knows Ananias was the type of disciple that would. And he goes into um, that home and think about this. He enters the house and he puts his hands on Saul. And then the first word he says, out of any word he could have said, the first name he says, out of any name he could have called Saul, and he had every right to, is brother. That's what he calls him. The very first words out of his mouth. Now try and commit that to memory because it's going to come up again twice more in the New Testament as a really powerful moment for Paul. Very powerful, like life-changing. That word becomes what is life-changing in Paul's life. The fact that he called him brother. And he says to him, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, has sent me. That's whose name I come in. So the, the one thing that connects us, the one thing we have similar is that guy who you met on the road that said he would send you further instruction. He is the one who sent me. This is where we connect. Now, where we go from here, we're going to have to wrestle that out. But this is what we have together, Jesus. That's what we have together. And I love that he's filled with the Holy Ghost and there falls from his eyes as it had been scales and he receives the ability to see and he's baptized. And then he was strengthened um, during that time. And we'll read in a later chapter where Ananias, um, we hear a little bit more about this story and how Ananias speaks to Paul and says to him, I God knows who you are and he has a great work for you mm. and um, what that mission would look like. Some Bible scholars say it was 13 years before Paul starts preaching from this moment where he just studies and receives strength from other people within the faith. And, and I don't know how many years it actually was, but I love the thought that Ananias mentors him and strengthens him and helps him rise up to the capacity and the potential of what God had in mind 
for him in that moment. And in 19, I've never noticed these people before that he's certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. It's that whole community yes. of people he was on his way to persecute. Who take him in. Who take him in. And, yeah. they, and they take care of him. Yeah, it's like, so awesome. It's such a good, There, you, you want to do this and we actually have you do it in the bottom of the journal, but who is your Ananias? Who has been that for you and changed your life and mentored you and, and helped disciple you into knowing who Jesus is? Who is that? But also, who is your Saul? Yeah. Who is the person that, that you need to maybe be more generous with or more open with? And that leads right into that. Like, how did that community actually receive him and strengthen him? And I think part of that might be um, possible to do because we've been both sides of the story. Ourselves. Right. If yeah. we can remember the days that we were Saul and an Ananias came, it's it's easier to be an Ananias to another yep. to another Saul. Like some days we get to be Saul and some days we get to be Ananias. And that's, that's what our journey through life. Sometimes we need the second yep. chance and sometimes we need someone to reassure us of a God of second chances. Yeah. And sometimes we need to give the second chance. Right. And that's actually really hard. Yeah. Um, but There's I, just a lot of grace undergirding yep. this entire story yep. where you're just like, you know, like th this is all of this is a response to the presence of Jesus with all of them. Like, yeah, and the gift of grace. Yeah, it's like how people would think, how could I ever do this? How could I knock? How could I yeah. open? It's like, oh, we're it's gonna there. end with such a sweet story here that I just love, and it's just a tiny story, and um, you might just skip over it if you didn't know to look for it. But it starts in Acts nine, thirty six. It tells us now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha which by interpretation is called Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. I love that there's just this little afterthought part in here that they're like, oh, and we can't not mention Dorcas. Dorcas. You know, who I just love. And did we know she was from Joppa? No. When we were there? No. Did we think about I just this? thought that when I read it. I'm like, oh, now I want to think we about that twice. City. We were in yeah. her city. And um, I love that it's just this certain disciple, right? That's who we're meeting right now. Ananias was a disciple that you start realizing you actually don't need the calling right. to make a great difference in the church and the working of the church. And she was full of good works. And it tells us it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. And they washed and they put her in the upper chamber and... Um, Peter was there and they sent unto him two men um, and, and said, you've got to come. You have to come. And so here is this thing. And I just, I'm imagining like a viewing in my mind. They've laid her out. Here's all of these widows who are there. And Peter comes into the situation. And when he comes, he sees all these widows who stand in front of him weeping. And they're showing him the coats and the garments that Dorcas had made for them. And, and I love this thought that they're like, what are we going to do without her? Like, look, like, look, look what she did. She made this and she made this and she did this. And I just love this moment where they're telling them. And, and it feels like at a funeral when like, you know, you know, like you go to a funeral of a family member and people like walk up to you and they yeah. say, let me tell you what your grandma did for yes. me that you might not know yes. about. And they, they're all just telling these stories of the things that she did and the impact that she made in her life. I think it's so sweet. And you kind of love that she just was this woman who probably this, just sat in the back room and just sewed. She just used her gift that she had and it was sewing. That was yeah. her gift. And she just did that. And um, Peter put them all forth and he kneeled down and prayed. And then he turned him to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she um, sat up and he gave her his hand and he lifted her up. And then he called the saints and the widows and he presented her alive. And here is why I love this story so much is because of this. Um, she was needed. She was needed 
for what she was doing in the back room of her house. Like that gift that she was giving, that back room service was worthy of being raised from the dead. Mm. Um, And I love that sometimes we think that God is going to save his best miracles and his best callings and his best whatever it is for this select set of people that we've assumed what they're going to look like, how that's going to be. And I love when he's like, do you remember Dorcas, the one who sat in the back room and sewed coats for the widows? Um, that that in his mind, Peter was like, we, the church actually can't live without her Yeah. right now. That yeah. work, that back room service, that's actually crucially important to the work of the kingdom right now. And Sometimes we are Tabitha. We are the one in the back room just doing this work that no one's ever going to be like, do you know what your grandma did for me? Like you may never know. Right, right. But look how important that work is to the kingdom. That's what this story teaches me. That even that back room service is part of what makes the kingdom function the way that it needs to function. And To not forget that service, but also love to the least of these is actually vitally important to the work of the Lord. Well, it's what, yeah, it's just what he said was the work. He's like, that's the heart and soul of what this is. And it's really cool to look at all those people's stories and they all end differently and they all impact people in different ways. And they all, they all were so different. But like the thing that was similar among all of them was somebody saying like, what do you want me to do? Like, I'll, I'll do this work. I'm available to do it. And, and, and I love that 41, 941 presented her alive. Yes, me too. Because it is that those willing hearts that bring life into the church. Yeah. Like the church is alive because of people like her. Yes. You know, and, 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 and then I could say, and it can be alive because of people like me. This is what breathes life and hope and goodness are people like Stephen and Philip and yeah. Dorcas and And Saul I think sometimes saying, we get confused too in the fact that if you were to say, who should Peter bring back to life, Stephen or Dorcas? I think most of us would be like, oh, Stephen. Yeah. He was really important. Yeah. And no one could resist his words. Like of the two, you would be like, I'm so intrigued that you picked Tabitha in the back room as the important one to bring back for the community. And I think we need to like commit that to memory. Yeah. Yeah. And see, one, we don't know when and how and why God is using us and why he's doing the things that he's doing. But second, to just move out of our, it's a human tendency. Yep to create like a hierarchy of importance and, and value. And, and Jesus is showing us like, no, 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 no. The greatest miracles happen in these one-on-one moments and conversations. And they begin with someone willing, available, and just filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, yeah. what do you want me to do? Yeah, so good. So cool. All right, we'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.